Reformation Sunday. I know you all thought, no, no, Pastor, it's Halloween. <laughs> Every once in a while, we get a little bit of separation uh, so that on the last Sunday of October, we can celebrate Reformation Sunday, and maybe the Friday before or, or one of the other days of the week is the official Halloween day, which, by the way, uh, is actually All Hallows' Eve and just actually means the eve before All Saints Sunday, which uh, uh, our, our dean, John, is going to preach next week and bring that um, All Saints Sunday message. So, so All Hallows' Eve is ours too, but we're going to let that go. We're just going to let that go today. We're going to claim today as Reformation Sunday. Now, I've heard colleagues and I've heard other friends suggest that, that um, Reformation should be every day, that the, the church should, should always be reforming. And there is absolute truth to that message. But one of the things I want to uh, distinguish is the difference between Reformation and progression. See, some people, when they say the church should always be reforming, uh, are suggesting that the church should always be moving forward. The church should always be making progress. And while there's truth to that, when we think about what happened in the Protestant Reformation that we celebrate today, uh, what was really happening was, was Luther was calling the church to come back to the truths that are taught in Scripture, not to move forward into some way that the church could progress as enlightenment and history sometimes talks to us about Reformation bringing about this progress. Luther's concern was that it bring us back to faithfulness to the truths as recorded in God's holy word. One of the big deals that was happening at the time of the Reformation is that the church was trying to raise money uh, for building of St. Peter's Cathedral. And in order to do that, they were selling indulgences. Uh, indulgences were a way that people could uh, make a donation and then the church would grant them or a loved one, maybe even a loved one who had passed away, less time in purgatory. Well, most Lutherans don't know a lot about purgatory, but purgatory was understood to be uh, that time or that place where Christians uh, got purified before entering into heaven. So it wasn't, purgatory is not hell. Purgatory is a place to be purged of the, the, the lingering guilt of sin that's in our lives. So, so Jesus died for the sin of the world, the original sin, but then we have to sort of be made right with God for the sins we individually commit. Now, so what did Luther do? Luther said, no, that's not right. I'm standing against that. Well, not exactly. Luther actually, when he studied the word of God and understood the atonement that is taught in the scripture from Christ, um, he actually agreed with the Roman Catholic Church at the time that the church, through Christ, had the authority to forgive sins. Can you be surprised by that? The church has the authority to forgive sin. So, so what was the problem? What was he mad about? 
What was he protesting about? What was he trying to reform the church from? Well, Luther, when he looked at the teachings of Scripture and saw that the, the church had the authority to forgive sins, asked the question, well, if we have that authority, and since we have that authority, why don't we just give it? Why would we want people to pay for it? If we have the authority, and he agreed with the church at the time, we have that authority, so let's just freely give that forgiveness. And that was at the heart of the, the, the struggle. But the other part of that struggle had to do with understanding how we understand truth. Our gospel lesson today says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And one of the arguments of Luther and the church then, and one of the very strong foundations of our church today, is this idea that God's word brings us truth. Luther's concern was that sometimes the church in its behavior, in its thinking, starts to, to veer away from the centrality of the truths that are taught in Scripture. And certainly that is still true today. Luther actually may have very well determined that from looking at and studying the scriptures of our New Testament epistles. Most of the epistles of the New Testament were written to bring the church back to center. It, it experienced in the various cities that Paul wrote those letters that the church had begun to drift away from the clarity of the gospel as communicated uh, by the apostles. And so he writes these New Testament letters to say, look, it's really all about forgiveness in Christ. It's not about good works and, and many other things that the church tends to find itself adrift regarding. And so we today continue to claim that yes, we are a church of the Reformation as we are a church that continues to seek to be brought back to the center of the truths taught to us and revealed to us by God through the Holy Scripture. So what were some of those truths? Well, Jeff, thank you. They agreed this morning to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God on Reformation Sunday. Some, sometimes we Lutherans just can't let go of some of our traditions. And singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God, in my mind, is an obligatory action of worship in a Lutheran church on Sunday morning for Reformation and I was really grateful that they did it the way a band ought to do it. So let's, let's give God a hand for them willing to contemporize that great hymn. Thank you. That's another way of my saying if you didn't like it, blame me, not them, because I asked them to do it that way. Okay, just to be clear. Martin Luther wrote that hymn out of the psalm that we read this morning. The psalm suggesting that God is our fortress. God is our protection. In a world where there was a lot of conflict, in a world where uh, the government and even the church was standing against some of the followers of Luther's teaching, uh, they needed to understand 
that God is our protector and provider. We today still need desperately to understand that God is our provider and protector. There is no one or nothing more powerful. Even though things can come against us and stand against us and argue with us, our confidence is in the faithfulness of God who loves us and provides for us. God is indeed our refuge and our strength. We can take comfort. We can find hope in the knowledge that it isn't up to us, but that Christ is with us to encourage us through these days. You know, the last 18 months have been a challenge that I had certainly never experienced in my Christian life and certainly not in my ministry, where essentially we were told, don't come to church, uh, don't gather. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, there were actually people who actually believed that when we did worship out on the parking lot, that that really actually was a worship service. That's a joke. You didn't laugh loud enough that time, Johnny. You didn't lead them. I was looking, I was looking for some help there. It was, it was hard, wasn't it? I mean, it's like, okay, if you're worshiping online, basically it just means you need to listen twice for it to count, right? Oh, that was another joke. I'm, I'm not doing well this morning. Um, Steve, help me out. Um, it, 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 felt, it felt somewhat empty, didn't it? And yet, in, in our hearts and souls, we knew, we knew that Christ was still with us. We, we, we knew that we could continue to worship God in fullness even without the ability to gather. We still had the reassurance of God's faithfulness and presence and love in our lives. And indeed, it did sustain us as difficult as that journey was and maybe even still is, God is still our fortress. God is still the source where we can go to to find peace and hope in the midst of chaos and violence in our day. And so around this deep study of Scripture that Martin Luther did to try to understand how to, how to kind of bring the church back to center from some of the places that had gone, he discovered, you know, five core foundational ideas that we still believe in and are still the heart of our Reformation celebration. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Sola Christus, Sola De La Gloria. Those five solas are at the center of our theology even still today. Or to say it another way, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and glory to God alone. Anything you would add to that is secondary. Those become the foundational truths to determine again our alignment as a church, our theology, our actions, our missions, our behaviors, we focus on these five core principles. So let's look at God's word and what we teach today, especially as it relates to this idea of being justified freely. In Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 22 
we get the beginning of a repeated idea that gets said in several different ways. It starts off with this statement. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This was actually at the end of an argument that Paul used as he started the book of Romans. He was trying to establish this idea that comes in the next verse, which I memorized. I don't know if any of you did, but I memorized in high school. This was sort of heart and soul in my theology. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody memorize that when they were little? Gosh, I am an oddball. That's all right. Those of you, I love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Glad you're here today. I, that's that's, it's interesting because that is actually not the primary point of that text. The text begins in the beginning of Romans in which it articulates that we are all sinners. And the primary idea that he's trying to get across here is both Jews and Gentiles are all sinners. And when you hear verse 23 in context, you have to read verse 24 because it goes on to say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The point is not to make the point that all have sinned. He's actually already made that point in Romans. What he wants to say is there's one way to then be justified. There's one way to then be forgiven and be cleansed of that sin under which all of us fall, and that way is the redemption that is ours through Jesus. It's here for everybody. And on a day like today, we should maybe say something like Lutherans and Catholics alike. It's there for all of us. There is one way for this restoration to happen. And I'll tell you the truth. This is the truth. Even the Catholic Church at that time in history taught that sin was forgiven through Jesus. That was not a new idea to the Reformation and to Lutheranism. The question was, what about our sins? What about the, the lingering sins in our lives? You know, the ones that when we look in the mirror, we go, man, I've blown it. Or we might even ask ourselves the question, God knows everything about me. How could he really love me? Because I've messed up. And so I want to ask you the same question I asked the first service this morning, and I'm hoping for the same response. We'll just see. Are you ready? Are you forgiven? Raise your hands. Perfect. Like I said, first service, maybe we should just stop right there and head on out the door. We all understand, almost all the hands went up, we are forgiven through Jesus. Now let me ask you the next question. Are you righteous? So, I guess that means you believe in order to become righteous, you need to spend some time in purgatory 
so that you can be purified and made right with God before you go to heaven. Is that what you believe? I didn't think so. So what do you think it's going to take for you to be righteous? Because I want you to know right now that the heart of Lutheranism and the heart of the Lutheran Reformation is not the declaration that through Christ you're forgiven. It's the declaration that through Christ you are righteous. That the, the death and resurrection of Jesus brought all the satisfaction necessary for you to be made right with God and be declared righteous. It's not just that you're forgiven. It's that you're made a child of God through Christ. All of the merit that Christ earned in his life and his holiness, God imputes, Reformation word, imputes to you. How many of you believe that Jesus is righteous? Now I got to ask again. How many of you are righteous? <sighs> yes! Convinced. I know that some people, first service especially, when I asked the question the second time, I got this. He just said it. I guess I gotta say that. You are holy because Almighty God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, declares you to be his child, an heir of salvation, righteous in his sight. And therefore, there is no need for purgatory. There is no need for good works to make you righteous because Jesus has accomplished that for you. And in the freedom of that declaration, you are free to forgive and love others as you have been loved and forgiven. Have you ever heard the phrase, and it goes different in different churches, so if you weren't raised as a Lutheran, you can imagine that it's you know, Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist, but, but the phrase goes something like this, good old Lutheran guilt. Uh, I got a lot of mumbling. Nobody raised their hand that time, but I got a lot of mumbling. The primary struggle of the Reformation is to declare to you that Christ lifts that burden from you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God forgives you and makes you right because he loves you. You are declared righteous. So let me spell it out a little bit using uh, words from the NIV study Bible. Listen, the term justify describes what happens when people believe in Christ as their Savior. By the word, justify and righteous are the same word in Greek. From the negative viewpoint, God declares you to be not guilty. But from the positive viewpoint, as I've just established, God declares them to be, believers in him, declares them to be righteous. 
He cancels the guilt of their sin and credits righteousness to them. When we say we're justified by grace through faith, we're saying we're made right with God, we're forgiven and made holy before God through Jesus. That's what he has accomplished for us, for God so loved the world. And it's not just for us, it's for everyone. The point of Romans to declare this righteousness is available to anyone who will believe. And how will they believe unless they hear? And so we declare again and again the good news of the gospel for all people so that we can all experience the truth that sets us free. The world needs to know that you are forgiven in Christ The world needs to know that they too can be forgiven in Christ. You need to know that you are righteous. So believe it. Not just for the three minutes that the pastor forces you to raise his hand in case someone looks around to see if your hand's up or not. But actually believe this is who Almighty God declares you to be. You are his righteous son and daughter. You are are right with God through your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Thanks be to God. Believe it. Amen.